0: was weak, that was really, I'm going to have to preach this morning, thank you for that song guys, we certainly appreciate that, we've all been there, everybody has a past don't they, everybody has a story, doesn't always look like where we've been, what we look like on a Sunday morning does it? As that songwriter said, some of us have tasted the shackles and the chains, and sometimes they weren't physical, sometimes they were emotional, sometimes they were uh, spiritual. But we've all faced shackles and chains before, but thankfully, because of the blood of Christ, we can be free. Amen? Amen. We found ourselves in the book of Matthew this morning. In the 24th chapter, we're going to read verses 1 through 8, if you would stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Matthew 24. Verses 1-8, through this is known as the Olivet Discourse. This is Jesus speaking in in his uh, communication with the disciples here. It says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciple came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, When shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? Then Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars, and rumors of wars. See, that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places." All these are the beginnings of sorrows. Father, we now resign ourselves to allow your spirit to move upon us and to say what needs to be said on this day. I pray, Lord, that you would find the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth pleasing in your sight, that you could remove anything that is unprofitable for this day and add anything that you see and deem as profitable for the hearers of this, on this day. Lord, we resign to let you move among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes as, as ministers we try to get a point across, we try to make an emphasis, but it's, it should be directed in, and guided by the Spirit of God all week long. There was a, there was a minister, and how, how many of you sometimes as parents and as other people, what, the things that you do get misunderstood by others? Sometimes that happens, misunderstandings come all the time. Well, this particular minister, he decided that he wanted to do a visual demonstration that would add emphasis to his Sunday sermon. And so as he did, he took these four jars... ...and in these jars he placed four different worms into the jars. And in the first jar he put a worm into a jar of alcohol. And in the second uh, jar he put a worm and he put it full of cigarette smoke. And in the third jar he put a worm and he put it full of chocolate syrup. And in the fourth worm he put in in the jar the worm full of clean soil. And at the conclusion of his sermon he showed the following results that had already happened. The first worm that was in alcohol was dead. The second worm that was in cigarette smoke was dead. The third worm that was in chocolate syrup was also dead. But the fourth worm, in good clean soil, was alive. And so the minister asked the congregation, he said, what could you learn from this demonstration? And a little old woman in the back of the church raised her hand and she said, As long as you drink, smoke, and eat chocolate, you won't have worms. So see, sometimes things can be misunderstood, can't they? And such is so when you get into the things of Bible prophecy... ...and things concerning the times of the end. I believe Bible prophecy is perhaps one of the most convincing proofs... ...of the inspiration of Scripture... When the Bible can foretell events prior to them happening and then they unfold, it is one of the most conclusive pieces of evidence that you could ever have that the Scripture is inspired by Almighty God. It is often, uh, prophecies often viewed more accurately in hindsight, of course. We don't try to figure out things that are not clear in Scripture, uh, but it is uh, not The biblical prophecies are not like those prophets of the world, like a Nostradamus or those others who try to make these vague predictions and and they can be applied many different ways. Jesus, in the way that he did it and in the prophets, they're very specific for the most part, the ones that we can accurately understand. And Jesus is very detailed simply because he does not want us to be deceived. Amen. Have you realized in your life that God has went overboard so that mankind would not be deceived? I remember reading stories about a Josh McDowell... ...who sought out and when he was in college to prove once and for all... ...that this thing of Christianity was a falsehood... ...that it was a fallacy, that it was a misnomer of man. But as he went through and studied the scriptures, the historicity... ...he'd begin to study the archaeological data... he began to study the sciences and their various aspects of knowledge. And after a couple of years he came to the conclusion... ...that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God... ...and gave his heart to Jesus Christ... You have stories of this all over the world of people, even atheists, avowed atheists, who worked against the gospel message. But when they looked at the evidence, the open and and looked at it with an open mind, without prejudice, they came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Anthony Flew was one of the world's he was the foremost atheist in all of the world at one time. And when he began to examine the evidence, he turned from his atheism many, many years ago. This scene in Matthew chapter 24, known as the Olivet Discourse, we're only looking at a a small portion of it this morning, what is known as the beginning of sorrows. Here's the scene. Jesus is here in his last week before his crucifixion, known as Passion Week. Jerusalem is the location. The city is is swelling with the population. Passover is being celebrated uh, Jesus has fi- just finished in chapter 23 teaching in the temple. As you go through that, he's, he's, he's been teaching in the temple. The disciples surely were there because they, they were enamored with the temple. They, we, we realize that as we think about the disciples here, and they are being enamored with the temple, it says they came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. They, they, were, just, they were just flabbergasted that this great structure could be And do you realize that people today, we travel all over the world. People save up money for years sometimes just to go see different exotic architecture in different places in the world. There's been people in our own congregation who have saved their resources and they just wanted to go see some the holy city, Jerusalem. They want to go see that. Some people want to go see the, the Eiffel Tower in Paris Others want to go see the the pyramids of Egypt or even maybe of Mexico. They want to go see these great landmarks. Some, the Roman Colosseum. Some, Big Ben in Westminster. Others, the Taj Mahal in India. The forbidden city in Beijing. You realize that people all over, at this day and in this hour, this temple in the city of Jerusalem was the major architectural piece to lay your eyes upon. It was an immaculate place. You you have to realize that this temple was built of Jerusalem stone, this white stone that was built. It was hand-hewn stone. It was the first temple was built by Solomon. If you recall in the scriptures in 1 Kings chapter 6 begins to outline what this temple looked like, what it was made of, how it was crafted. At this point in time in the city of Jerusalem, when Jesus gives this Olivet Discourse, the, the temple is being refurbished by King Herod. So, so no doubt it was Herod might have been trying to over, you know, outdo Solomon even. We don't know that, but nonetheless, in 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 7, we find that it says that these stones of this temple, that they were made ready before they brought them, so that there was neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron heard in the house where, when it was being built. They built the stones by hand somewhere else and brought them, and they fit perfectly together. Then it says that the, all the walls were made of stone, and cedar wood was placed on the interior, for the whole interior was overlaid with gold. Cedar wood was everywhere, the walls, the floors, the beam. It, the Bible says that it was that it was uh, cedar, it, that this cedar was so, so much so that there was no stone that could be seen with the human eye. That it was completely covered with cedar wood and there was some fur involved in it as well. He said that he carved out cherubim out of this cedar wood, that he carved out flowers and palms and different ornamental carvings in this cedar wood. And then it says that Solomon overlaid everything with pure gold. Everything. With pure gold. The whole house, the walls, the ceilings, the floors, the altar, the cherubim, the doors that were made with olive trees, they were all overlaid with gold. Could you imagine what a spectacular sight this must have been to see that it was overlaid with gold? No wonder that the disciples came to him to show him and say, Lord, have you seen all of this? Isn't this incredible? And what did Jesus say? It's all getting ready to come down, boys. You're not going to see here one stone left upon another. They're all going to be thrown down. These are big stones. These aren't little stones. These are huge stones. But Jesus makes a prophecy here. He begins to speak this thing. He said not one stone. He said every stone. This is a very specific prophecy. There's no room for error. Either it's true ...or it's not true. Either Jesus had knowledge of the future... ...or he didn't have knowledge of the future. See, these things can be tested. They can be tested through time. And we find that this prophecy that Jesus spoke... ...in his last week of life upon planet earth... Uh, ...before his death, burial, and resurrection... ...then he spent another 40 days... ...but prior to the resurrection... ...this was his passion week. In 70 AD, the, the Romans, they went... ...and they totally destroyed this very temple... About 40 years after Jesus had spoken this prophecy, the Romans went and they burned the temple. And you think about that. They burned the temple. They took all of tree branches from the Mount of Olives, and they begin to encapsulate the temple, putting the branches within and without the temple, lit them on fire, and the oil from the olive branches began to burn so hot that it began to melt the gold inside the temple that the walls were overlain with, and the gold would find its place of lodging inside the crevices of the stone, and the soldiers, the Roman soldiers that had ...went to plunder this great temple of God... ...then the bounty that they would have, the plunder that they would have... ...their payday, so to speak, was the gold... ...that had now found its place of lodging inside the cracks and crevices of the stone. So these soldiers, with the tools of instrument... ...began to one by one dismantle every single stone... ...because of their greed and because of their lust for the gold... ...they began to pull every stone down to get the payment that was due them... And so the prophecy that Jesus spoke had been fulfilled in its entirety... ...that not one stone would be left and that had not been thrown down. See, this prophecy is true. Our historical data shows that it was true. Either Jesus had to have foresight of this. He had to know. He had to understand the future. In verse 3, the disciples come to him. And it says, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives... ...the disciples came to him privately saying... Tell us, when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? They wanted to know. They wanted to know three things. When would the temple be destroyed? When's this all going to happen? What's the sign of your coming and what's the sign of the end of the world? Can you tell us this, Jesus? We really want to know. You've tickled our ears. You've made us curious about these things as many men have been throughout the ages. When Jesus came to this earth, To be born of a woman, to die on the cross, and to be resurrected. There were over a hundred prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus before he ever came. We covered some of this on Easter and on Resurrection Sunday, and even prior to that and in other times throughout the year. These prophecies that were all spoken many, many hundreds and even thousands of years before Jesus had come to this earth, were all fulfilled down to the very detail. Even the fact that his his own bones would not be broken upon the cross of Calvary as was common in the Roman crucifixion. I mean, all the way down to the very details of what happened. Why did God go to such exhaustive... Why didn't he just make us take it all by blind faith? Because he didn't want you and I to be deceived. So the faith that the Bible talks about is not blind faith, but it is reasonable faith. It is faith. He sent prophets of old and begin to pen and put pen to paper and to begin to craft these prophecies that you and I would never be deceived, that we would know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And But by knowing that, we could be saved because that's his main emphasis, that you and I would be saved and set free and on our way to a glorious heaven one day so that we could too say with the, with the songwriter that, On that day, it'll be a glorious morning when we see him face to face. I look forward to that day. I want to see my Lord and Savior. There's a lot of people I want to see. Granny's over there. There's a lot of relatives over there. But I'm telling you what, Granny's not going to get in the way when I go to see Jesus. I want to see Him first and foremost. I don't want to see all my relatives. I love them. I definitely do. But they didn't save my soul. They didn't shed their blood on the cross of Calvary. There'll be a bonus in heaven. But if Jesus wasn't there, it wouldn't be heaven at all. Amen? Amen. Heaven without Jesus is no heaven. And I look forward to see the one who saved my wretched soul. I'm thankful for him. Are you thankful for him saving your soul? Are you thankful that his amazing grace rings true today? That not only did he save you one time before, but he continues to save you day by day from temptation, from this world, from the devil, from hell, from, from his, his influence, from his temptations. Because the enemy wants to deceive us. The time is short, church. Jesus' soon coming is at hand, and we have to be ready. We have to have a message on our lips to the masses that Jesus is coming. And we have to be faithful to preach the same message that John preached and the same message that Jesus preached. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We cannot preach just accept Jesus. We cannot preach, oh, if you'll just take them into your heart. All those things are nice. They're not Completely false. But the message of the gospel is to repent. It is to call men to get on their knees before God to be sorrow for their sin, sorrowful for their sins. Because godly sorrow worketh repentance. The Bible says godly sorrow worketh repentance. So we declare that all men everywhere in all places should repent. That they might be set free from the bondage of sin. Why Jesus came and died. Amen. Amen. There were over a hundred prophecies that Jesus, when he came, that we might know who this Messiah was. And Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. I was talking to a mathematician in a taxi cab when I was at the National Training Institute at the University of Michigan many years ago. And I was listening to a mathematician. And I don't know how well versed you guys are. I'm not a mathematician. I don't claim to be. I only understand certain elements of, of mathematics, but I know that this is a mathematical universe. As I said in that taxi uh, drive, that car, this, this young, it was a young lady. She was going to school there at the University of Michigan. She was making money on the side here, driving this uh, shuttle around to get us students where we needed to go. And as she began to talk, she began to tell us, that tell me. She was ignorant of the scriptures completely, had no Christian upbringing. She began to tell me that there was evidence of a worldwide flood in her studies. And I said, you mean like the one found in the book of Genesis? And she, and she just looked at me and she goes, I never thought of that. And I said, yeah, and then, and then I come to find out she had studied mathematics. And I began to tell her, that I had just happened to listen to that week. This is how God works, see? God knows what he's doing when he puts something inside of your mind or inside of your, in front of you. I had just been watching that week a mathematician on a program and he had said the, for Jesus Christ, for one man to fulfill all of these prophecies was what was so improbable. It was like one in 10 to the 52nd power. Well, that didn't mean a whole lot to me. I mean, I understand that that's a big number, and I understand a lot. But it meant a lot to this girl, so I told her that. And I said, and, the, and, the, and mathematicians say that I think it's one in, four, 1 in 10 to the 14th power, or some number, I may be wrong on my exponent, but it's a small number there, is an impossibility. It's a mathematical impossibility. But yet they say for Jesus to do this was 1 in 10 to the 52nd power. And she just sat there with her mouth open, and she goes... I could not, I don't understand. That is incredible. This really ministered to her, but it meant nothing to me. Because I wasn't a mathematician. I already had faith in Christ. It didn't take that. But this little bit of information made a difference in this young college student's life. And so Jesus here, he begins to tell things. He begins to give us information that he knows is going to meet us where we sit today. And so as he does this... He begins, through the biblical prophecies, begins to tell about his first coming with over a hundred, fulfilled to the very detail. And he realize that in his second coming, some biblical scholars say that there are three times as many prophecies concerning his second coming than his first coming. But I want you to know upon the authority of God's word that Jesus Christ will fulfill every single one of those as well and we'll not be deceived if we're looking For the signs of who the Messiah really is in Jesus Christ. In verse 4, he kind of reveals his heart to us. Jesus, as he begins to tell these things, he, he, he lets us see behind the curtain. He lets us understand who he is and what he is. He said he answered them and said, as they asked these questions. He didn't even answer their question, but he answered them and said this. Take heed that no man deceive you. Take heed that no man deceive you. And yet in the world we live in today, deception has run rampant. There are millions of gods in the Hindu religions, the Buddhist religions, all of the religions of the world, literally millions of gods. And yet Jesus said, take heed that no man deceive you. I want you to know, I need you to know, I need you to understand who this Messiah is. Jesus didn't want us to be deceived. In verse 22 it says... ...and except those days should be shortened... ...there should no flesh be saved... ...but for the elect's sake those days would be shortened. See, he shortens them. See, the heart of God is for our salvation. The heart of God is not to judge man. See, hell was not made for mankind... ...it was made for the rebellious devil and his fallen angels. It was never intended for you and I to go there. If we go there, we'll go over the love of Christ. We'll go over the love of a grandparent or a parent... And I thank you for your testimony this morning, sister, as you told about how you've been raised in the church, but went out into the world, backslid. But the prayers of the saints, the prayers of a faithful mother or father or grandmother or grandfather or aunt or uncle or brother or sister, those prayers mean something. Don't give up, church. Continue to pray. Don't give up. I was talking to Sister Carolyn this morning, and she said she's stubborn She's strong-willed. She doesn't want to give up. And I said, you keep it up. You bring the grandkids. You bring, you bring the, all the other kids. You let them know that Christ is the only way to get into this kingdom of God. And so you be stubborn for the kingdom. We're thankful for that. You continue to be stubborn. Now, sometimes she might misapply it, as Luke might say, but that's besides the point. But stubbornness is a gift from Almighty God. Amen? My wife says I have a double portion. (laughs) In verse 5, it says, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. This can have many connotations. But he says that they're saying they are Christ. They're saying and claiming that they're the, the Messiah. Many of you might recall many years ago, a man named Tom Tutler came to our church with Brother Steve, was still the pastor. We were out on the corner of uh, Goyer Road in Lincoln, and as this uh, gentleman was there, he was sitting in the church, and he'd be asked if he could testify that morning, and Brother Steve, with his little lapel microphone, went back there to him and held it out. ...for him to begin to give his testimony. We didn't have all the wireless microphones and any of that back then. We didn't have any of that. We were lucky we just had the, the altars. We had a few things and we had church. And the Spirit of God would fall upon that place and we would sense his movement. Men and women would get saved and sanctified and set free. And it was a glorious time. And we looked for many more days like that. But Tom was there and he wanted to give his testimony. And as he went back there and Brother Steve gave him that microphone... ...Tom to- uh, began to say, I... I want to thank the church for your kindness and I want you to know that I am Lars, the second son of God, the second redeemer of the world. (laughs) And Brother Steve, and I couldn't do him justice, but Brother Steve had the microphone like this, Tom was holding it, he snatched it out of his hand like this and he held it like this and he said, you are a liar. He said, the only thing you can do is go to that altar and get saved this morning. And Tom went to that altar and he got, he got gloriously saved that morning, that morning and gave his heart and life to Christ. We, don't, we haven't seen him much since then as he lived somewhere else and was a product of a flood and a, and a storm is how he met Brother Steve. But there are many that will come in the name of Christ saying that they are the Christ. There's false prophets everywhere. Statistically, in the 18th century, two, only two people claimed to be Jesus Christ. In the 19th century, seven people claimed to be Jesus Christ. In the 20th and 21st century, 36 people claimed to be Jesus the Christ. And they've misled many people throughout the ages. Some of you who are a little bit older will recognize some of these more famous names like uh, Sun Myung Moon, Jim Jones, David Koresh, Charles Manson. Some of these names, people who claim to be the Christ or a Messiah of sorts. In today's day and hour, you find people like a Louis Farrakhan who claims to be this a, a Christ, a Messiah, a Savior in this world. You got over in Australia right now. You have a couple named A.J. Miller and Mary Luck. They they uh, cl- he claims to be Jesus, and she claims to be Mary Magdalene, and they're married. And on their website, you can go get yourself a message from Jesus. It's sad. There's another one called Maitreya, their website on there, and I won't give you that address, I don't expect you to go look at it, but it says in the headlines, Maitreya the Christ is finally here. And his whole message is about sharing the world's resources, about peace on earth. He has this prophet that supposedly has been going through him for decades, named Benjamin Krim, who has been telling his story. He's been declaring this emergence of this Maitreya Uh and, and, and literally millions and millions and millions of people are following this guy all over the world today, filling up stadiums in Japan and other countries in South America. I mean, it is a massive following. And then there are people who simply make their self a false god. They turn to their self, their own intellect, their own thoughts. They don't trust the scriptures, but they make their own self. A God or a Christ. People deceiving themselves. In verse 6 here it says, And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. He said, See that you're not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So we look at wars and rumors of wars. From the website called warsintheworld.com, even today, there are a total of 864 wars and conflicts going on. That was just updated on June 18th of this year. 864 wars and conflicts all over the world presently going on today. But we got to be careful because the world sometimes they attack Christianity and they say that religion has caused all these wars and all these deaths but they have wrong information. They just don't know it. They've heard I remember there was a comedian years ago on TV who said this, who made this false claim that religion has killed more people in wars than anything else. But that was a false claim. The truth is that atheism has killed more people than all the wars of Christianity or any other religion put together. According to the Encyclopedia of Wars, there have been 1,763 wars in the history of mankind. Only 123 of those have been of a religious nature. And if you take out the ones concerning Islam, it drops way down. That's less than 7%. Less than 2% of all deaths caused by wars were religious wars. So don't let anyone use that against you. See, the facts speak for themselves. Christianity certainly is not a religion of war. Amen? In the 20th century alone, there's been over 100 million people killed by communism, which is atheism. ...when you think about China and Russia alone, or the United Soviet Socialist Republic as it was known in its communist red state. So you find that wars and rumors of wars are going on even as we sit here today. But in the evangelical sense, in the ministerial sense, in the, in the attempt to win souls, we can't let the world dominate our, the thinking... And tell you that Christianity and religious wars have caused all of this pain in the world. They have not. Atheism has killed far more people than what Christianity would have ever thought to. And we don't support those things in any case concerning killing innocent folks. In verse 7 here, it tells us that nation would rise against nation. And kingdom against kingdom. This word nation... In the original Greek is the Greek word ethnos. And it means a race or a group of people. A tribe of people. That nation would rise against nation. Is it not not suspicious at least to the Bible scholar. To the one who knows the scripture. That this propaganda machine that we call the mainstream media. Is continually pushing and promoting this message of hate to the masses. See if you believe what they tell you. That hate is everywhere, that there, everyone hates everyone, that that's all they talk about, is that hate, hate, and more hate, every night on the news, every article you read, that there is hate going on, hate against black folks, hate against Native Americans, hate against Asian Americans, hate against women, there's hate against men, hate against the LGBT community, but there's no hate against Christians because uh, they're the ones doing all the hating. The media has become ministers of hate. They don't even know it, but they're fulfilling Bible prophecy. They're making nation rise against nation, because as people begin to believe these lies, then they begin to develop a hate of their own against that other group of people. And it causes animosity, and it fuels it. And the Bible says that nation would rise against nation. And we see it happening among us. We see it coming to fruition right now in the lives, in the day, and the hour in which we live. There's probably always going to be hate. People are involved. Sometimes people think they're better than somebody just because they have a little more than somebody. Not in the kingdom of God. We don't look down upon anybody, do we, church? It doesn't matter if you have a little, if you're homeless out on the street, or if you live in the mansion on the hill. It makes no difference. Everyone is equal at the foot of the cross. Amen? Amen. And so we find that in the Christian community, there is a truth. That no one is better than any other person. The Bible boldly declares that there is no room for prejudice in the heart of a Christian. Amen? There is no room for that kind of thing. That we know the truth and we should be the leaders of the ones propagating the truth. The Bible tells us in Acts 17.26 that he is made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. Every one of us have a common ancestor. Every one of us come from Adam and come from Eve, the mother of all. We aren't any better than anyone else. See, the theory of evolution would try to teach us that some people are more evolved than others. So they're better off. Than other people. But the Bible boldly declares that we're all of one blood. We all are equal at the foot of the cross. No one is any better. So if anyone has prejudice in their heart against any group of people, you need to get to the foot of the cross this morning and get that taken care of because there's no room for that in the kingdom of God. Amen? The Bible also tells us here that there would be famines. Currently, there are 793 million people that are starving in this world and we have enough resources in this world to feed every man, woman and child multiple times with no problems. But food is often used as a as a as a tool in the hands of powerful men to control people. The Bible says pestilence. You talk about pestilence in the original Greek this means a pest or a disease. You realize that there are 39 categories of diseases in this day and in the hour in which we live. The World Health Organization declares that there's 12,420 diseases. As we just come off of 2020, we're very familiar with viruses and diseases, from, from COVID to HIV to cancer to heart disease that affects so many people. When you think about these diseases, you think about STDs. And you realize that I was looking at statistics on sexually transmitted diseases. How alarming this is. That it says that at least 20% of all people have at least one that there's no cure for right now. At least. This is what they know about. In the U.S. alone, there's 20 million new sexually transmitted diseases each year. In the U.S. alone. There's 110 million people, both men and women, that are infected with a sexually transmitted disease. Almost half of these people are between the age of 15 and 24. We've been breaking records. These statistics were taken in 2019. We broke records up to 2019 for six consecutive years, breaking records for sexually transmitted diseases every year. And then you go to a man named Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty who began to stand and speak at a podium one day. And he said, do you realize that we could get rid of all sexually transmitted diseases in one generation if we just did it God's way? If it was one man, one woman, one partner for life, sexually transmitted diseases would be gone and eliminated from the face of the earth in one generation. Think about that. And yet... The prevailing minds of our times, our educational system does not teach abstinence. They they don't want to teach that because, well, it's just impractical. It's just really not going to happen. I want to tell you that I believe young men and young women can remain abstinent. And they can marry the first love of their life. They can serve Christ their whole life. And they can live according to the dictates and the will of God. It is possible. The Bible talks here. In verse 7, about famines and about pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places or, or strange places. We just had one this last week, I think, that was a 3.8 some, or somewhere around that. I don't recall the exact uh, seismic, the, the scale, Richter scale there. In The, the United States uh, Geological Society tells us that there are 20,000 earthquakes around the globe every single year. When you look at major earthquakes of a number 7 on the Richter scale or higher since 1900, the average is 16 per year. In 2010, there were 23. According to Israel 365 News, reporting in 2021, the first 65 days, I think it was an article from March 7th or 17th, I can't remember which it is, it said 2021 is on track to become a record-breaking year for major earthquakes. There were 42 major earthquakes of a 6.0 or higher in the first 65 days. In 1921, 100 years earlier, there were only 7 major earthquakes in the first 65 days of a 6.0 or higher. They talked about Iceland that was hit with more than 18,000 earthquakes in one single week just at the beginning of this year with one being a 7.3, one being a 7.4, and one being an 8.1. We realize that God uses earthquakes as as a sign. These are things that cannot be faked. These are prophecies that you cannot make up. Either disease is increasing, either wars are increasing. Mankind is struggling for peace, yet there is no peace. We don't want disease. We march all day long. We do 5K races. We have Marches, we do fundraisers, we have institutions in every major college to eradicate our world of disease and yet they continue to increase day after day, year after year because ungodliness has abounded and the prophecies will not be denied. They are true and we can look to the data to support. Jesus is coming again and it may be very soon. I don't know for sure when it is. I just know that it's closer today than it's ever been in the past. We realize that the Lord used earthquakes, an earthquake at the crucifixion of Jesus the Christ. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 51, that he said that there was, a, there was an earthquake. And there was no surprising that there was another earthquake when Jesus resurrected from the dead in Matthew 28 and chap, verse 2. It says, and behold, there was a great earthquake. In Romans eight twenty-two, he begins to declare to us this, this state of the world. People want to know why there's why there's problems, why there's sickness, why there's, why there's natural disasters in the earth. Oh, it's man-made, all right. I can assure you that it's man-made, but it's caused by sin. Sin is what caused the fall of man. Sin is what causes disease. Sin is what causes this earth to groan. The Bible says in Romans 8, 22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. The whole earth is groaning. It is waiting on the soon coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In verse 8, it tells us this, but all these are just the beginning of sorrows. This word here, sorrows, is the Greek word odin, which means a birth pain. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. As we see the soon coming of Christ, we can logically infer the scripture does not explicitly say this. We can logically infer that as a woman with child, as we get closer to the end time, as those contractions increase, not only in frequency, but in intensity, we should be able to see that. Some of you ladies know what I'm talking about, about these birth pangs. I'm just speaking from third-hand knowledge. I don't really know. Kirsten knows very well, it's fresh in her memory, I'm quite sure, this, these birth pangs, how they, how they get closer as you get closer ...to that birth. And as we get closer to the coming of Jesus Christ... ...we can watch these things... ...and we know that he's soon coming. Now... ...contrary... ...to the new perversion of truth in this world... ...I'll just throw this out here as a bonus... ...men cannot have babies. Okay? Just throw that out there. This is the gospel truth, okay? I know you shouldn't have to say that in this day and hour... ...but it seems like we have to now. So we will... That could be considered hate speech by some, but it's really not. It's just truth speech. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 1 through 3, it says this, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. This is the world we live in today. The day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. The thief doesn't knock on the door. The thief doesn't send you a, a text message telling you he's coming. He doesn't announce it. But the Lord in his gracious mercy has given us signs that we might be able to observe. And we know that his soon coming is at hand. In Luke twenty-one twenty-eight, it says, And then when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And so we see all the signs of the times, church. We understand that Jesus is coming again. How many of you realize that Jesus is coming again and we had better be ready? If you are, say amen. Amen. Some of us may go to see him before he comes to get us. And that's okay. And if I'm one of them, I just want somebody else. If Jesus hasn't come back and I don't make it home and I don't see you next week... Don't mourn for me. The next man, come up, stand in this pulpit. Be anointed by the Spirit of the living God. Preach this gospel message and come see me soon one day, brother. I'll be glad to see you when you get there. I got nothing to hold on to in this world other than I want to see men's hearts and souls and minds be saved by Almighty God. I want to see my kids get into the kingdom of heaven. I want to see every one of you get into the kingdom of heaven. I want to see those who are out on the street, the drunks, the drug addicts, the prostitutes, the thieves, the adulterers, the adulteresses. I want to see them come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is the joy of my life is to see a man or a woman bend and bow at an altar of prayer somewhere and give their heart and life to Jesus Christ. That is the reason I get up. That's the reason I live. It's what makes my heart beat fast. It's what gets my adrenaline going Going, nothing else seems to do it anymore. And I'm thankful for that. But I want to see it. I don't know where you're at today in the realm of this. I don't know where we're at in this prophetic timeline. It could be another thousand years before Jesus comes back. I don't know. He seems in every generation to put an urgency inside of us so that we'll get out and we'll preach the gospel. But it could be today. We don't know. It could be before this sermon is over. We don't know. All I do know is that we're closer to Jesus Christ's return than we've ever been in history. This shouldn't put fear into the heart of the Christian. We look up for our salvation, our redemption draweth nigh. We should be ready. If you're not ready this morning, then I would suggest that you get ready this morning. Don't put it off. There's a lot of misnomers about salvation that you can come when you want to. But the Bible boldly declares, Jesus said, no man comes to me. No man comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I'll raise him up at the last day. You don't wake up one day and make a decision in your mind to get saved. If you're here this morning, it's because God has been patient with you. It's all because of God's amazing grace. He's been patient with you. He's put something on your mind. He's awakened your senses. He's caused somebody to invite you. He's caused something to happen, and you're here this morning because if Jesus isn't, if the Father isn't drawing us to Jesus, we cannot get saved. And so we take that window of opportunity when He's calling us because salvation is a response to His initiation. He initiates the relationship, we do not initiate the relationship. He initiates it. He puts something in our mind. He puts something in our heart. And then we cry out to Him. We respond to His initiation. These prophecies that are being fulfilled right in front of our very eyes should convince anyone that the Bible is the inerrant word of the living God. A man could not know such things. It's an impossibility. And we only looked at just a few. You need to be born again this morning and ready to meet Jesus. You need to have repented of your sin. If you're, if you're here this morning and you have not been saved, you have not repented, today is your day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you've backslidden, maybe you knew Christ, maybe you've given your heart to Him, but you've just walked away, you haven't, you haven't been living for Him. You've went back out into the world, but you need to be saved this morning. You need the Lord to forgive you of those sins. Romans 3:23, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. There's no one here that's any better than anyone else. And the Bible says that God be, pays us wages for our sin. He has a paycheck waiting for us one day. And the Bible says in Romans 6:23 that the wages of sin is death. But He goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. In Romans 5:8, it says that God commended His own lo- His love for us, and that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get right. He died for us while we were yet sinners. While we were still cussing Him out. While we were still living in rebellion. He died for you and He died for me. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart the Lord Jesus, that we will be saved. It says, for with the heart man believes unto unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then in Romans 10, 13, it tells us this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If You sense Him calling you this morning. You sense Him saying something to you this morning. And you know that if you were to die today and stand before God and He judged you, that you wouldn't get into His kingdom, you need to come and get right with Almighty God this morning. Father, we thank You today for this blessed message that You have infiltrated my own heart with. And that now you have allowed me to share with this people. I pray, O God, that if there should be any man, woman, or child in this place under the sound of my voice. Or that would hear this in the future by the technology that we have embraced. I pray, O God, that you would minister to them. That you wouldn't let them rest. That you would steal their peace from them. That you would make their heart race, their palms sweat. That you would make them realize that judgment will begin one day at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of the ungodly man and the sinner? Lord, I pray that you would put the fear of yourself inside of us, that we would have that healthy fear for the fear of the Lord, according to Proverbs 1.7, is the beginning of wisdom. And the wisest thing a man can ever do is to kneel himself down, to stand tall before men, but to kneel before you. And to declare, O oh God, that we've all sinned and fallen short of your glory. We need you as our Savior. We're thankful that your precious blood atones for our sins. We accept that gift of everlasting life. We repent of our sin and we turn from our sins. We ask you to forgive us, to give us the strength. You said, if any man is in you, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There's somebody here this morning who just needs a new start. They just want a new a new lease on life, they want to turn a page in a book, they want to turn over a new leaf they, but it all starts with you Lord we can't do it on our own If we try to do it without you, it's all vanity it's all in vain but I pray O oh Lord that if there is such a person this morning, that they would grab a friend by the hand that they would grab someone else by the hand that they would go alone, whatever is on their heart and give themselves over to you this morning to repent those sins and to be born again for today truly is the day of salvation lord we love you we glorify your name and we treasure the amazing grace you've given us to bring us to this day and at this hour to hear your words in jesus name we pray and all the people say